Everybody talks about death with dignity, but that's not for me. If I cared about dignity, I wouldn't have lived my life the way I have. That's my dad. We're in a family video chat about end-of-life care plans, and the questions I carefully selected from a medical journal have been waylaid, first by a ranking of the priests who have said the Mass at family funerals, then by a sabotage scheme for Mom to donate her broken-down kidneys to Mitch McConnell. It's a common problem not knowing how to start the conversation about end-of-life care. Research shows that while nearly 9 out of 10 people think that their family members understand their end-of-life wishes, less than one-fifth have actually had a conversation about it. I became fixated on having this conversation with my own family during my nursing school clinicals. There I saw families shocked by the pain, fear, and neglect that followed life-saving interventions. There was also the unending back and forth between insurance coverage and bankruptcy. One of my patients was told that hospice care would allow him to die comfortably at home with his family, but his insurance, his good corporate insurance, wouldn't cover it. He died on the hospital floor a week later. A lot of sedated or comatose patients still hold on to their sense of hearing, and that thought, the total lack of control while still being aware of my surroundings, was what scared me the most. I trust my family to make the best decisions on my behalf, but I don't want to put them in the situation constantly wondering if they've done the right thing. Advanced directives are one way that our system has at least tried to give patients some kind of agency over their end-of-life care. The advanced directive form provided by the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services asks you to name a power of attorney. They'll make decisions on your behalf if you're unable to communicate. Mine is my brother and to identify which interventions you want performed. Intubation, ventilation, defibrillation, chest compression. My mom says, For me, it's a less abstract concept than it used to be. She's talking about this past fall, when she was diagnosed with a rare life-threatening illness. She tells me that she was most scared of dying suddenly in the hospital without the chance to say goodbye. I ask her, was it hard to communicate those fears to us? I wasn't going to talk about that. It was too scary. It was too fresh for me to discuss. I didn't feel like I had my own thoughts. Everything was too jumbled. I wanted to have some time to think about it all, and I really hoped that I would have that time. My brother says, There's not much social leeway to discuss these things, unless you're reminded in some way that it's a very real possibility at any moment. After a tragedy, there's so much more latitude to express your care for somebody or something like that. But up until that point, it's like, oh, you're being morbid. Nothing's going to happen. Don't worry. Filling out an advance directive gives me a sense of security. There are only a few decisions it asks me to make, and that makes it easy to stop there without realizing that it really only addresses my most surface-level fears. I'm not really afraid of the interventions themselves. I'm scared of a system that puts profit above comfort and closure. A system where my prolonged death would probably mean neglect and trauma for me and a crushing financial burden on my family. Those are the problems I see over and over with my own patients. And my gut response when I see that is to detach, focus on protecting myself, file these detailed forms. But the truth is that we can't control this thing that will always end in surrender. All we can really control is what we do for those who are suffering right now. 
These ongoing conversations with my family have given me a better understanding of their wishes. Now it's about turning that understanding into action to help start shape end-of-life care into an experience of dignity and empathy for everybody. Ambrose Mary Gallagher is an oncology nurse. She also plays guitar in Fat Angry Hens and writes monster stories in Michigan.